1: Hill 70 Quantock Ranch, where the horse to ride for your next bull purchase, 6th of February of
2: 2021.
3: Welcome to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today. Good afternoon, I'm Ryan McNally. It's brought to you by Assiniboine Livestock, for the most reliable and dependable way to market your livestock. Today on the show, we hear from APAS President Todd Lewis on the mandatory rail crossing regulations and why agriculture groups across the prairies are asking for an extension on the mandatory standards deadline. We also hear from Exterminator on a recent memorandum of understanding they've signed with a Saskatchewan Manufacturing Company. As well, a new fertilizer facility expansion in Brandon's being completed. More details are on the way on that. As per usual, the farm weather it's in its usual spot at the bottom of the hour. You can expect continued strong canola sales even at higher prices. Thomas Milky is a publisher of The Oil World, a German-based newsletter that monitors the global oilseed market. He says average edible oil prices, which also includes soybean, palm, and sunflower oil, are currently almost 40% above the five-year average. Most of those increases have occurred over the past three months. Lower palm oil production in Indonesia and Malaysia, along with fewer sunflowers in the Black Sea region, mean there is less edible oil available.
2: This should spill over to canola and provide attractive selling opportunities for canola farmers. The surplus in Canadian canola stocks will be disposed in the current season. Canadian stocks will be relatively small at the end of this season. This should have a price-supportive influence on prices.
3: Melky runs through a list of potential market uncertainties in the months ahead.
2: Weather in South America, the pace of recovery in palm oil output, biodiesel policies, will mandates be reduced due to the high prices of vegetable oils, effects of the current high prices on consumption in oil and meal, Some negative effects. And finally, how quickly can the COVID pandemic be brought under control globally?
3: All eyes right now are on the state of soybean crops in Brazil and Argentina. Milky says rain is badly needed in the two South American countries.
2: Rainfall in September, October and November was sharply below normal. The worst drought in at least 30 years. Any rains are now in the forecast for next week. December rainfall are crucial. If they are not well spread and at least close to normal, a crop failure in South America cannot be prevented.
3: Thomas Milke made the comments yesterday during a Canola Discovery Forum Zoom presentation. This portion is brought to you by the Salford Group. Call your Salford equipment dealer or visit SalfordGroup.com. APAS, as well as the Alberta Federation of Agriculture and Keystone Agricultural Producers in Manitoba, are calling on the Federal Ministry of Transport to help when it comes to new mandatory grade crossing requirements. APAS President Todd Lewis says there are concerns among the agricultural community in all three prairie provinces.
4: Transport Canada put a process in place for a number of years ago now, and the deadline's coming up uh, for November of, I believe it's 21, to uh, have this uh, private crossings issue. I guess, come to a conclusion and the railroads at this point, especially Canadian Pacific is telling producers they're going to have to start paying for some of these private crossings they upgrade and to upgrade these crossings and for the upkeep of them. And in many cases, uh, these agreements were put in place when the original right-of-ways were formed for the railroads and over the last number of decades, the crossings have been on the railroads dime, not uh, producers, and of course, producers uh, don't see any reason why that should, should change. So. I guess that's at the the crux of the situation is uh, somebody's supposed to pay for uh, these private crossings, uh, what they call private crossings, but at the same time, it's important to realize the the reason those crossings were there was because it split land holdings and in some cases, people's yards are on one side of the track and the highway or road access might be on the other side of the track. It's the way things have worked out over the years, and uh, those crossings have always been there. And in most cases, the uh, railroads have uh, paid for them in the past, and they certainly should be paying for them going into the future as well.
3: Yeah, I was just about to ask, I mean, why are farmers getting the bill for these rail crossings? Like, isn't it the rail company the reason why the rail crossings are there in the first place?
4: Well, that's correct. And, uh, you know, it's all about access, all there may maybe some crossings that the review goes forward that may be able to be removed they may be not used very much anymore or equipment's gotten bigger and it's not always practical to have crossings that are big enough for big air drill for instance or heavier combines and grain carts and those kind of things and, and in a lot of cases you can go around the other side or use existing crossings and road allowances and so on but there are a number of crossings that's the only access to that property or or, it, uh, you know, as I say, it may be uh, split uh, farmyards and things like that, so access to uh, granaries and, and farmyards. So in those cases, those crossings need to be maintained, and uh, most of the agreements historically the railroads were paying for, and they have lots of revenue sources and so on, and farmers uh, feel that they sh- should still be, uh, you know, honouring those agreements from uh, so many years ago.
3: CN and have been a little bit delayed in reaching out to Manitoba farmers uh, for these private grade crossings. Uh, what about here in Saskatchewan?
4: Very similar. CM has uh, taken a different approach to our understanding than uh, CTCP being a little bit more aggressive right now. And both rail co- companies are trying to work towards a resolution of this. And, you know, there's opportunities uh, perhaps for some infrastructure funding from the federal government to... Uh, help un- upgrade some of these uh, these crossings and it also works into municipalities as you know in towns or even uh rural municipalities to uh their crossings and so on so it's a big issue in uh in places that have rail lines that go through uh road allowances and and uh, you know in a lot of cases as i said it uh, will split quarter sections and uh, other holdings so it's uh something that you don't think about very much but if you have one of these crossings and And even if you only use it a half dozen times a year, it it, uh, really is the the access to that piece of property. And it's very important in a lot of farming operations.
3: And obviously with COVID-19, you know, paying for all of these isn't uh, exactly getting easier, is it?
4: No, that's right. It's, uh, you know, it's always tight margins in agriculture and, and uh, as I said before, the the rail companies have lots of revenue sources, and are able to uh, generate uh, revenue streams that uh, you know a lot of producers don't have. And as I said, these crossings have historically been paid by the railroads, and you know there's been lots of consolidation of the rail system over the last number of years, and there's fewer crossings now than there were uh, you know even even ten years ago. So I think the the railroad should be able to make this part of their maintenance program, and uh, just like they do with their rail, it should be. Uh, Maintain these crossings so that everybody can use them in a safe manner.
3: One last question for you, uh, Todd. I guess the deadline in November 2021 you referenced earlier. How realistic is that to keep?
4: Well, I think that the biggest part of this is just get some clarity around it from the federal government asking for this extension, and you know, just get put it on notice that the government and the railroads put them on notice that producers are starting to uh, become aware of the situation, and you know, guys, that they're they're. Uh, it was kind of on the back burner in a lot of cases. We knew it was coming, but when uh, guys are starting to see possible bills of, in the thousands and tens of thousands of dollars to uh, replace and maintain these crossings, it certainly get, it's certainly is getting producers' attention. And so I think it's just part of this going forward that if we're going to see some programming uh, from the federal government, that program, you know, they start getting working working on a program and certainly just to uh, let let all parties know that producers are uh, not happy in many cases with
3: what's being proposed that was a president todd lewis on the new mandatory grade crossing regulations being implemented by the federal government
4: time now for real agriculture with sean haney brought to you in part by karst holdings in assiniboia and schlamps integra tire in grenfell your locally owned integra tire dealers on the source 620 ckrm
1: this is your RealAgriculture.com update brought to you by the canola school Get canola agronomic information when you need it on your smartphone, tablet, or laptop. Our library of timely agronomic information is free and available at canolaschool.com Sean Haney here with realagriculture.com and Real Ag Radio on Rural Radio 147. and I'm joined right now by Jen Christie. She's on the advisory board for Centric Engine for a new study they're trying to put together called The Voice of the Female Farmer. Jen joins us right now. Hey, Jen, how are you?
0: I'm good. How are you doing today, Sean? Hey, I'm
1: doing fantastic. So, Jen, tell us about this study, The Voice of the Female Farmer. What are you attempting to uh, find out?
0: So this is a, a new research study that, that we're trying to launch uh, that's never been done before. So we want to uh, look at the motivations, the decision-making process, the role of women producers. Um, and and go really deep into that to get to get really a solid understanding of, of the different approaches that women take to uh, t- take on their farm, uh, how they're involved in the farm, uh, and and what what their influence is and their approach to making purchasing and buying decisions as a customer.
1: Do, do you have any suspicions on how those roles or how their approach? Is different than their male counterparts.
0: Um, I think we could we could look at you know gender differences to maybe make some broad assumptions about how women would approach the business differently. But really, what this part of what this study is uh, is about is is identifying the different ways and approaches that women themselves take. So um, you know, obviously, women. Are not all the same, and they don't make all their decision making. Uh, they don't make their decisions all the same, and so we really want to um, cut into that and, and see, you know, how those differences, what those differences are, um, and and really be able to uh, ascertain some really actionable. Information that uh, the industry can use to to better um, to better work with women and create better experiences as uh, producers and customers.
1: I remember a book. I it was written by Faith Popcorn, and I, I'm I cannot remember the name of the book. I remember reading it. Probably it's got to be about like almost ten years ago. And in that book, it talked about how even in some you know. Tr- some industries or some streams of products that you you wouldn't think that you know traditionally women are making the decision they are, and the example that uh, Faith Popcorn gave was that lawnmowers eighty five you know eighty five percent of the lawnmowers that are purchased the decision is made by the female in the household. I imagine there's a lot of those kind of misconceptions or, or things that your study will dive into, and provide some facts back just like that.
0: Yeah, exactly, Sean. I think. Um, anecdotally from the conversations that I've seen and been a part of in the industry uh, and through my different involvement in different organizations in the industry um, I think we we know that you know women on the farm play a really important role and and influence probably a lot of the decision-making that happens uh, whether they're uh, whether they're on on the front lines of that or more behind the scenes And again we you know we've heard countless stories right of of women who are the primary decision maker Uh, they may be the producer they you know they may be actually the one um, that that's making all the decisions and they're not currently taken seriously because the stereotype of of a farmer today even though it's 2020 and uh, over 30 percent of the producers in the industry are women the stereotype is still that they're men so. Uh, this study, I think, is going to be really important and uh, provide, you know, more concrete data to back up a lot of these stories that we really just heard anecdotally, um, But and we know that, you know, women aren't getting the greatest experience as as the customer in some cases, and we want to be able to provide the data to demonstrate that and, and demonstrate and show the, the roles that they are playing and, that's, and the important influence that they have so that they can be taken seriously. And I think that's going to help bust the stereotype a little bit, to be honest. once we, You know, we, it, it really hopefully will legitimize that the, the women are in these roles and they are primary decision makers. And then if you take them seriously, there's some big opportunity out there for, for companies that want
1: to do that. This has been your Real Agriculture Update. You can find out more about this issue or many others at realagriculture.com. Canola and its beautiful bright yellow flower blankets the prairies every growing season with 20 million plus acres. There's one place you need to go to get all your canola agronomic information, canolaschool.com. That's where you'll find all you need to know about seeding, disease, weeds and insects, harvest and marketing. Engaging and in informative content all at your fingertips when you need the information. Visit canolaSchool.com brought to you by InVigor Hybrid Canola and BSF Canada.
3: The official 620 CKRM farm weather brought to you by Shepherd Realty in Regina, specializing in farm and ranch real estate in Saskatchewan. Call Harry, Justin, or Devin at 352 1866. The 620 CKRM farm weather for today, mainly sunny with the high of zero. A few clouds tonight with a low of minus 11. Sunshine tomorrow with a high of plus 2 and a low of minus 6. Friday sunshine, expect windy conditions that day, a high plus 3 and a low of minus 6. Saturday sunshine with a high of plus 1 and a low of minus 5. Sunday sunshine with a high of plus 4 and a low of minus 4. And Monday, sunshine with a high of plus 5 and a low of minus 2. The normal high for this time of year is minus 6 degrees. The normal low, minus 17. Sun rose this morning at 8.39. The sun will set at 4.57 this afternoon. In Saskatoon right now, it's minus 7. Swift Current at minus 3. Estevan, Weyburn both at minus 2. Yorkton also sitting at minus 2 this hour. In Moose Jots, partly cloudy, wind west gusting up to 31 kilometers an hour, it's minus two. In Regina, partly cloudy, wind south-southwest at 15, it's minus four. This portion of Saskatchewan Agriculture Today brought to you by McDougall Auctioneers. Get fair market value for your assets with an online auction through McDougall Auctioneers. McDougalauctions.com, and brought to you by Patterson Liquid Systems, experts in liquid fertilizer distribution. Fertilizers just better when it's wetter. Patterson Liquid Systems expect the best. A new weed control technology developed in Saskatchewan could be on the commercial market as soon as 2022. The Exterminator uses high-temperature steam for non-selective weed control. Exterminator Agricultural Products and inventor Ron Gleim have signed a memorandum of understanding with Honeybee Manufacturing based at Frontier Saskatchewan in the southwest corner of the province. Kevin Hirsch is in charge of the communications for x Speaking with Saskatoon reporter Neil Billinger, he says the MOU with Honeybee is a good match.
5: The Honey Brothers have been heavily involved in organic agriculture. They understand the need for different weed control options. And uh, they build a combine header that uh, follows uh, the ground very closely, and that's what we need for the the boom of the exterminators to follow the ground very closely so the high temperature steam can inflict uh, weed control.
6: What uh, type of research work was done this past year, and uh, did you learn anything uh, from the the work in the field?
5: There was uh, a lot of kinks to be ironed out uh, as far as making the exterminator prototype function properly. But... uh, By the end of the growing season, Ron Gleim had a a unit that wasn't very pretty in how it looked, but it had all the component parts working properly that uh, he could just set it and go and maintain the the temperature of steam that he wanted. But we still need to uh, have a a cart designed that will hold all the component parts properly. We still have to have a proper boom that will follow the ground and then hopefully get out to 10 and 20 and 30 foot booms so the one that we've been working with is only a 10 foot boom and then and, and needs some more design work so honeybee can help us out with that and then in turn honeybee will become the the manufacturer to put all of the, the units together once we're in commercial production
6: so that would include the software control system things like that or
5: the software control system is, is something that uh, is being developed uh, separately and, and we've got an agreement uh, that we think is in place but we can't really announce it yet as far as uh, a partner to, to work on that so that we have the software system that uh, will control steam flow, steam saturation, temperature, all from a, an iPad in the in the cab of the tractor. So that uh, that is going to be the, the project over the upcoming couple of months to get that ready to put on the units that will have out for prototype in the upcoming growing season
6: for people who haven't heard about the exterminator why is this uh, such a potentially uh, groundbreaking uh, invention
5: well it's non-selective weed control so it won't replace uh, selective weed control where you go spray your crop and kill the weeds and don't kill the crop this this kills all of the vegetation it touches uh, we don't know how long the the lasting the control is on perennial weeds that have deep root systems yet, but uh, that's something that will we'll need to find out, but it inflicts uh, complete vegetation control very very quickly, just uh, bursts the cellulose and everything above ground dies and is is gone and and stays gone for quite some time based on what we've seen thus far so for a pre seed burnoff uh killing weeds prior to seeding. Uh, For in-crop weed control, where you're doing control between crop rows, we believe that we can easily design a boom that will do that rather than tilling between crop rows. Uh, And uh, there's a number of applications uh, beyond that that we'd like to explore, including crop desiccation uh, prior to harvest, but that's a little further down the line. So for organic producers looking for any weed control options that uh, can replace tillage, it's an obvious fit. With uh, herbicide tolerance growing uh, among many of the, the weed species that we have to deal with and, and with the, the uh, attacks on glyphosate and glyphosate being restricted in many nations, we believe that new weed control options will be something that really will be needed in agriculture and, and this can be a game changer in the years ahead.
6: Now, you're working on the technology, and you've signed the Memorandum of Understanding. The news release says commercial manufacturing could potentially be on the horizon. When we say horizon, are we talking three years, five years? What are we talking about?
5: We hope to have the first commercial units, and they they might still be on the prototype side, and we'll be needing to grab research data from them, but the first really commercial units that producers uh, we'll hopefully get a chance to purchase, and won't be large numbers, but hopefully that will be 2022. 2021, we hope to have a number of units that will be truly prototypes, not not purchased by by a producer, but by 2022, we hope that they're the first uh, number of, uh, of units, whether that's 50 or 100 or 200, is yet to be determined, but the first units will be out to, to give it wide-scale usage where producers will actually own the technology.
3: That's Kevin Hirsch, a spokesperson for Exterminator Agricultural Products, which signed a memorandum of understanding with honeybee Manufacturing in Frontier, Saskatchewan. A working prototype of the Exterminator and an explanation of its component parts can be viewed online at Exterminator.com.
1: Hey everybody, it's Ted Creech here from Hill 70 Quantock Ranch in Lloydminster, Alberta. On the 6th of February of 2021, I'd like to invite everybody to our 51st Annual Barn and Bull Sale starting at 12 noon. Now we'll sell approximately 400 bulls consisting of Red and Black Angus, Horn and Pold herfords, Red and Black Sim Angus, Charlay and Red Balancer bulls, plus 100 bred and open commercial females to round out the day. Now don't be afraid to get in touch with us, either call myself, Connor or Bill at 1-800-665-7253.
3: This segment of Saskatchewan Agriculture Today brought to you by Daigleman Industries. Look to Daigleman for the most reliable, dependable, engineered tough equipment on the market. Federated Co-op is expanding their Brandon Fertilizer Terminal by more than 30%, costing Co-op $5 million. Associate Vice President of Ag and Home for FCL Patrick Bergerman says it's an exciting time for Co-op.
7: We've had tremendous uptake. The original build of the facility was opened in fall of 2017 and the marketplace uptake and support has been uh, just tremendous in Manitoba marketplace and into eastern Saskatchewan. So as we looked at what capacity we would need going into the future, knowing the support we've already enjoyed and what we anticipated coming uh, down the pipe, we thought it was time to reinvest back in the facility. So really excited about it. A 30% expansion, why was this needed? The original build was 27,500 metric tons, and we thought that that was a well-suited size for the presence we had in the marketplace. The uptake that we've had, given the speed of the facility, um, has been, frankly, beyond our expectations, so that we've been really pleased the the way uh, producers in the marketplace have embraced the facility, as well as local co-ops. They've been tremendously supportive. So yes, we're adding 9,000 metric tons of storage capacity to the existing structure, and looking forward to to having... uh, A bit more storage available, but it also gives us the ability to store specialty products that are coming to the marketplace. So there's a lot of newer products that are coming for farmers to utilize for fertility. And we wanted to have those offerings available for them as well.
3: And how are you able to do this during the COVID-19 pandemic that's really knocked around business, not just in the agriculture world, but on all sides of uh, the economy?
7: Yeah, excellent question. We've, again, been very fortunate. Our team has adapted exceptionally well to make sure we had safe practices in place for truckers that were coming to the facility to pick up uh, loads and and get them out to local co-ops, as well as farmers that were coming to pick up some of their own new fertilizers directly. So that's been part of it. As we've had construction uh, crews on site, of course, we've been very sure to make sure we had some good social distancing framework in place so that we could keep everyone safe on site. We've gone through the entire busy spring season and throughout the summer and fall without any incidents at the Brandon facility, and and we're very thankful for that. Everyone's been very respectful of the practices that we have in place. Certainly one of the uh, upsides for uh, the prairies in the Western Canadian economy is that Agriculture is seen as a critical sector for supporting the ability to, to feed our families on the prairies here and, and throughout the world, really, given that we export a lot of agricultural production. So uh, there's really you know been good collaboration within the industry and amongst governments to make sure that farmers could still get the inputs that they needed to put in crops and, and take them off. And so we've been able to support farmers in those efforts and reinvest back into the business. While this terminal
3: is in the heart of Manitoba's agriculture area, this also uh, helps farmers in southeastern Saskatchewan as well, doesn't it?
7: It does, yeah. The reach of that facility does extend well into uh, southeastern Saskatchewan, and the local co-ops that are in the crop input sector have certainly taken advantage of the speed of that facility. We can put trucks in and out, safely loaded, even for blended loads in under 15 minutes, and that's definitely been noticed and appreciated by producers.
3: Where does Co-op go from here after this terminal is built?
7: Yeah, great question. So this comes on the heels of a brand new terminal being introduced to the marketplace in Grassy Lake, Alberta as well. So we now have three different terminals for fertilizer across the Prairie Provinces. The Brandon and Hanley locations were our first two. Then we added the Grassy Lake one this summer and are now back to expanding the Brandon facility. So Where to next? Well, we we hope that uh, we're going to continue to see the incredible support we've had from producers across the prairie so that we can continue to reinvest. That's one of the great things about co-op is that whatever we make for profits in the business, we reinvest back into local communities, whether that's in the form of facilities or patronage or uh, donations within the communities that we serve. So it's one of the great things about the model.
3: That was Patrick Bergerman from Federated Co-op on the new expansion of the Brandon Fertilizer Terminal. Again, filling in for Jim Smully, I'm Ryan McNally. The market update is brought to you by Scott Bjornson of Hollow's Wealth. For more information or to book a free consultation, call 1 800 284 9999. Durham was unchanged this morning in trading at 297.62. Feed barley also unchanged this morning at 209.70. Canola was down $6.40 this morning to 534.07. Flax unchanged at 693.37. Lentils unchanged at 552.50. Oats unchanged 206.53. Yellow peas were unchanged at 334.89. Feed wheat unchanged at 183.72. And number one, red spring wheat, the loan up this morning, up five cents to two twenty-nine sixty-one. The livestock quotes are brought to you by the Wayburn Livestock Exchange. Call Wayburn at eight four two forty five seventy four. And now the latest livestock quotes.
0: A Subway livestock auction had our last pre-sort sale of the year on November twenty eighth. Three hundred to four hundred pound steers sold for two fifty one two seventy. 400 to 450 pound steers sold for 237 to 265. 450 to 500 pound steers sold for 218 to 265. 500 to 550 pound steers sold for 212 to 228. 550 to 600 pound steers sold for 201 to 219. 600 to 650 pound steers sold for 180 to 206. 650 to 700 pound steers sold for 174 to 188. 700 to 800 pound steers sold for 166 to 180. 800 to 900 pound steers sold for 141 to 175. This is Jordan Stevens with the Assiniboia Livestock Market Report.
3: And now the latest Saskatchewan pork prices. SIG 4 in Brandon sold for 157.39 per CKG. BP 4, TCP 4 in Moose Jaw, similar 157.39 per CKG. Coming up, the Resource Report on Saskatchewan Agriculture today.
4: This is the Saskatchewan Resource Report on 620 CKRM. Here's Ryan McNally.
3: And now the Resource Report brought to you by Olympic Buildings. See them in for ag buildings, riding arenas, hay barns and more. Build with confidence, olympic-buildings.ca. Pfizer and BioNTech say they've won permission for emergency use of their COVID-19 vaccine in Britain. That makes it the world's first coronavirus shot to be approved. That's backed by rigorous science. It also marks a major step towards curbing Europe's deadliest COVID-19 outbreak and eventually ending the pandemic. British regulators are also considering another shot made by AstraZeneca and Oxford University. 80% of Canadian manufacturers surveyed in a new report face immediate labor and skills shortage. The Canadian Manufacturers and Exporters Survey of 563 companies across 19 sectors found the need for skilled laborers has been growing rapidly for years, but the COVID-19 pandemic has exacerbated the situation. The CME says 70% of manufacturers had a shortage of labor and skills in 2018, up from 40% in 2016. The group says government support measures for Canadians during the pandemic may be discouraging people from seeking jobs in manufacturing. On the markets, the TSX Composite Index was up 37.2 points at 17,334.13. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 36.26 points at 29,787.66. The S&P 500 was down 1.61 points at 3,660.84 while the Nasdaq Composite was down 26.21 points at 12,328.9. The Canadian dollar was trading for 77.28 cents U.S. compared with 77.21 cents on Tuesday. The January crude oil contract was up 67 cents at $45.22 U.S. per barrel. And the January natural gas contract was down almost a penny at $2.87 U.S. per MMBTU. That's the resource report. If you missed any segment on our show, tune in to the On Demand Saskatchewan Agriculture Today podcast. It's brought to you by Hill 70 Quantock Ranch, the place to be for your next bull purchase. Mark the date, February 6th, 2021. Call 1-800-665-7253 anytime and. You day. That's Saskatchewan Agriculture Today. For Jim Smully, I'm Ryan McNally. Hill
1: 70 Quantock Ranch, where quality comes in quantity on the 6th of February of 2021. Be welcome to join us for our annual bull sale.